0: Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the Orchard. We are so glad you're here with us today. Two, thing, two parts of business, and then we'll, we'll get to what God has for us. First of all, we're starting a new sermon series next week. We are done with the book of John, and we're going to be diving into the book of Genesis and to see what God has for us. So we'll have, that'll be our new journey. Also, we have a new, a new thing we're starting. Um, it's for young professionals. I'm told to use that language, young adults, young professionals. I don't, no one really knows what that means, but if you feel like you're young, if you're a young adult or a young professional, then you qualify. It's going to be on the 19th. It's a Thursday night here in the coffee shop. We're going to have dinner, community, worship, and word. But it's a place to gather together and, uh, and uh, hear, some, hear what God's doing uh, in us and through us and meet some new people. So that is called Rooted. It is Thursday the 19th. I want to see you there. Well, everyone's been asking. As you guys know, uh, the uh, the bucket list trip to Israel came up um, been dreaming about this for my whole life, walking where Jesus walked, preaching where Jesus preached, seeing the Holy Land, and uh, everyone is, is back. Um, and I'm just gonna show you some pictures, okay? First of all, we have the Sermon on the Mount right there, and that's the Sea of Galilee down below. You've heard me talk about these places. The, and that, that um, power line, that's where Jesus, that's the power line Jesus actually touched while he preached. So, yeah, very, very special place. The next one is the Jordan River. And this is where so many from our group were baptized, right there where Jesus Himself was baptized. And finally, we have right here a picture of what they believe is the empty tomb that Jesus not only was put into, but then came out of. And the trip—I mean, talk about the depth and the richness—to have it all come to life after reading about it and and, and teaching about it for so long. And the, oh, there was only one problem: I, I didn't go on the trip. I didn't get it. I didn't go. The week before, I had to cancel. You see, Amy had some, my wife, Amy, my dear wife, had growing pain in her side. And it could be anything. And the week of, it became so intense that she went to the doctor and they, he pushed on it. And it was so painful, she cried. And this is the woman who, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of pain, believe me. Um, they did a scan and told us there were seven tumors on her liver. And that we needed another scan. Of course, you don't do that the next day. You, you get to wait on that one, right? And so they told us it would be a week out. And as the team to Israel was, was taking off, uh, we were awaiting results. And I just want to say this. You know, of course, I, I, I want to see Israel and all that. But when I get to heaven, the first thing God's going to ask me isn't how I pastored this church. Because there's a covenant higher than that one. And that's how I love my wife. So I didn't miss Israel. But it was a hard, difficult week of limbo. Maybe you guys have been in the limbo of waiting for a diagnosis. Humans, we can't stand uncertainty waiting for a doctor's call. And today we're talking about circumstances that can come into your life and change everything in an instant. And some of you have faced this. We're also talking about other circumstances that can gradually decline and erode in our marriage or our character and impact our life. And right now, for anyone here in the room or anyone listening, wherever you are, you are likely in some situation, circumstances, that has an incredible burden on you. It could be a storm of life has has hit you and you are going through something excruciating or you come out of a season of it. But as humans, we get this. We go through storms. We have these circumstances hit us. And this very week, I talked with a dear friend in the hospital who received a very, um, a very sad diagnosis. I visited another friend who, despite struggling with depression and anxiety for decades, is pursuing treatment and finding no results still. Another is plagued by addiction. They just can't seem to get themselves out from under. And then talking to others who their, power, their marriage in just the past week says, has imploded, and they're in the limbo of wondering, is this even going to work? You see, circumstances happen and they bring us this burden, this stress. Circumstances, they bring us anxiety. They bring us fear. So the question is, what do we do with our lives when circumstances like that hit them? What do we do when the storm crashes against our life? How do we live a full life when a storm rips through and threatens your peace and your present and even your future? Like, How do you thrive because circumstances are going to happen. So what do we do in them? That's what we're going to be looking at today because Amy and I have had a real-life laboratory of what that looks like the past couple of weeks. We know intimately what it looks like to, to cling to something in uncertainty and fear. We got to examine our faith. We got to examine our relationship with God and with each other in a new way when there, to, to, to see if we could find some peace within us when there was No peace around us. To do this, we're going to look at Acts 12. We're going to be looking at an enemy in life that has caused us a lot of trouble. I just want to tell you about, in Acts 12, we encounter Peter, the disciple. He's older, he's wise, he's the apostle. But in this, we're going to look at how he responds to fear, because in Acts 12, 1 through 5, we find Peter, and he's in jail. And not just in jail, he's heavily guarded, and it's the night before his trial, but this is no trial like Johnny Depp. No, no, there's no jury. There's none of that. There's no social media. The only person that matters is the ruler. And the trial is a joke. He's going to be executed the next morning, just like James was, because it gained so much popularity for the the ruler. So Peter is on the eve of his trial and execution publicly. He's in a hopeless circumstance. The diagnosis over Peter is death. And can you imagine the anxiety that's coming with all that? Sixteen soldiers assigned to guard him. Bars, locks, guards at every turn. There is zero natural way Peter's getting out of this circumstance. And how would you feel if you were in Peter's sandals? Just hours from death. Your last night. How would you feel? The anxiety of knowing the next day you would be publicly humiliated, paraded, and then executed. No company there with him. No support. No small group. Just fear looming in that cell with him. I think fear would have been a close companion had I been in his, his sandals. And we're gonna look back at how Peter responds here because I wanna see how Peter, what does he do? How is he being while he's there in that moment in that cell? But first we have to pause on Acts 12 and leave Peter there in that cell. The night before his execution, we pause there. And we go back in time, about two decades, to Mark 4 early in Jesus's ministry, early in Peter's days of following Jesus. And Jesus and the disciples are in a fishing dinghy traveling across the sea. And while they're out there in the sea, a squall apprehends them and hits their boat. A storm of of harsh wind that sprays the sea into their face, raining sideways, you know, just matting their hair to them. The wind, the waves are now crashing and probably crashing over the sides of the boat and Peter in the small fishing vessel, uh, this is not a yacht. There's no below deck to go run to. There's no cover. I mean, what do you do when a storm hits your life? For Peter in jail, it was this storm of execution. But for Peter here in Mark 4, it's that actual storm. But how do you handle a storm that hits your circumstance, whether it be in a boat or whether it be in a doctor's office or in a living room or a counselor's office? I now, mean, those waves, those, those winds of life, crash into you and take your breath away in this shock and disbelief, what do you do? You see, these disciples, they are struck by the storm, and as the water begins to spill and whitecap into their boat, they do what many of us do. They begin to panic. And if we take this right here, this would be the internal, the internal hearts of these disciples. This, this is Peter's heart, okay? And as the storm begins to rage around him, guess what begins to happen? The storm within him begins to match the storm around him. When panicking circumstances come and hit our lives, oftentimes what happens is the storm begins to rage within us, doesn't it? And we get some news, something, we get a diagnosis, we get something and oh no. Oh no. And so for Peter and the disciples, the storm within him began to match the storm around him. No peace, just fear, anxiety and panic. Because if you're Peter, and there's one thing that you, maybe you don't know, is that he wasn't just afraid of drowning, but that's bad enough as it is. But there was a Hebrew belief common in those days that at the bottom of this sea was all kinds of evil, the depths of the, the, the gate to the, the netherworld and, and demons. And if, if I fall into that sea, Leviathan or behemoth are waiting for me. And I will go to a very evil place. And so there's this, there's this fear of the actual circumstance. I could drown I'm in a boat. And then there's this other imaginary fear of what if could happen if I go inside. And it combined to just rob their peace. There was no tranquility in their hearts. They had that what if fear of going below. And the what do we do with this in the present circumstance. Now, while Peter and the other disciples were feeling the rising panic, they they looked to the rabbi, their teacher, their mentor, Jesus, the one who they follow daily, the one who is constantly teaching them about life and death, about peace, and about these things. We have learned that a disciple, in those days, a disciple would follow a rabbi not to know what the rabbi knew, but to instead become like the rabbi, to be like them, And I just want to remind you, that's why we do this. That's why we call ourselves Jesus followers. I don't just want to memorize some facts and and know what Jesus knows. Listen, we want to be more like Jesus and loving God and loving people. We want to become more like him and how we have peace and power in our present. We want to become more like Jesus. That's what a disciple does. And so we have these young disciples caught in a storm that is threatening their life, and they're clinging to the sides with white knuckles. And because Peter looks to Jesus in all things, Peter, with his heart going panicked, he looks to Jesus, and guess where Jesus is? Jesus is in the bottom of the boat, asleep. Jesus' heart was completely at peace despite the storm that raged around him. He had peace within him. No matter what happened outside of him, within him was this peace. We have the disciples, they're all like this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is like, yeah. So when they could take it no longer, when these disciples could handle it no longer, they wake Jesus up. Now, we don't know who exactly said this next verse, but just in my mind, I want to believe it's Peter. You know, he's always saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing. He's saying something, Right. He's putting his foot in his mouth. He's like a lot of us in here. Um, he's the most animated, the most bold. And so somebody wakes up Jesus and it says, They woke him up and they cry out, Teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? The question is even interesting. Teacher, will you do a miracle? Will you help? Teacher, help. Jesus, help. Jesus, do something. No, do you even care that we're about to die? And like he's, the, you know, he's you know, what? He's wiping, he was asleep. Do you even care that we're about? Do you even care we're about to die? Jesus wakes up, and immediately, he calms the storm. He makes the storm around them match the storm within him. Calm and peace. Winds cease. Rain stops, choppy waves top the sea. But the disciples, you know, they in there. There's 12 of them. They're, they're clinging to the side. You know, there's always those two disciples who didn't get the memo. They didn't hear all the yelling. They didn't hear talking to Jesus because they're. And, and so everything gets calm, and it's Andrew still yelling, Ah! Andrew, yeah, what? Oh, it's calm. Oh. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it, was, it was that quick. It's that quick. I'm certain. They were just in shock, in awe in that moment. But Jesus, still calm, still at peace, turns to them and asks an interesting question. He says, why are you so full of fear? And Doesn't Jesus just often just ask, like, the question? Like, well, Jesus, two seconds ago, there was a huge storm. You'd known that if you weren't asleep. Like, why are you so full of fear? It's an obvious answer, they were afraid because of their circumstances were in actual turmoil. The storm around them had hit their life. They were afraid because of the actual circumstances and afraid of these what ifs. If I go down, does he even care if we die? Does he even care at all? He follows it with a second question even deeper. Do you not have faith? Jesus draws a line between fear and faith. And he asks them, do you have faith? Now, what kind of faith is Jesus asking them about? This is important to see. This is very important to look at what kind of faith. Because he's not asking Peter, hey, hey, Peter, listen, you're an accomplished salesman. You're a fisherman. Don't you have faith in your ability to sail? I mean, you've been in a storm before. Peter, don't you have, a, don't you have faith in your ability to swim? Like, Peter, don't you have faith in, the, in this, this, this hardy wood that this ship is built out of? He's not asking them if their faith is in their natural abilities or circumstances. He's asking them if their faith is in one thing. And that's him. You see, when Amy and I went through the storm these past few weeks, uh, what was rising in us wasn't questions of faith in doctors or questions of faith in medicine. We were digging deeply into our faith in Jesus. And how would that hold us in the squall, in the storm? For the disciples, their fear was rooted in the natural circumstances around them, an actual storm. And their panic reveals that their faith was in the natural as well. Their fear was in the natural as a result of the natural circumstance, which is obvious, and it happens. I mean, if I'm stuck in a storm like that, I, might, I would be scared too. But it reveals where their faith was in the natural as well. Because if this boat capsizes, we're dead. Don't you care that we're about to die, Jesus. All of our faith is in this wooden contraption, and it's about to fail us. But if their faith was in the person lying in the wooden contraption, it might be different, right? Like Peter, in the storm, oftentimes our faith is rooted in natural things around us. And it makes sense. Like when a natural circumstance, or or a financial, or a work, or a marriage, when something hits your life, any circumstance, oftentimes the first thing we do is we have faith in our own self, our ability Faith in our spouse, faith in our marriage, faith in our our grit, faith in our business acumen, faith in whatever, faith in tangible things, faith in our ability to control something. In the chaos of dire circumstances, what gets exposed oftentimes and what was exposed in our lives as we went through something so so, so horrific was that, that our faith could be in our own selves to stand and make it through this. People have faith in their own skills, their own accounts, the market, the, the doctor, anything. There's unlimited number of things that as humans, we put our faith in, in the natural. But at some point, when the storm hits and the things in the natural fail you, Jesus says, oh, do you, do you not have faith? Yeah, it was in the boat, Jesus. I'm sorry. And I need you now. What Jesus is saying is, listen, your fear may be rooted in natural circumstances, but when the storm hits your life, your, fear be, or your, your faith better be rooted in me. Your fear may be rooted and caused by natural circumstances, but in that, your faith better be rooted in me. My, fa- my fears oftentimes may grow out of the natural, but my faith better be rooted in the supernatural. Why is this distinction so important? Because the storms of life are going to hit your, going to hit your life. They're, we live in a fallen world. These things will happen. I don't know what these things are. Some of you are going through them right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have come through one. For many of us, we don't know what's ahead. But storms will hit our life. Circumstances will happen. And if our faith is in our own self and natural abilities, when everything is shaken, guess what else is shaken? We are to the core our peace, our joy, our hope. You see, Jesus is making a a point here to place your faith in him because if you place your faith in Jesus, then no matter what fears come externally, internally, there can be a different reality because my faith isn't that everything is gonna be smooth out there. My faith is that even if, if everything is chaos out there, my faith is in the one who's the king of peace. Fear is common. It's perhaps one of the most common emotions that humans face. And fear is the soil from which a lot of other destructive emotions love to grow. And fear, today we're going to talk about, fear comes from two different places, okay? Two places, circumstances and speculations, circumstances are when things go bad or things go uncertain we, I don't need to belabor that when things are uncertain the limbo we can't stand that when things go bad for Amy and I it was that growing pain and the call for the CT scan and then the MRI scan and, and then the, they found the lesions all that stuff that was the storm that hit our life knowing that the results of that test were an absolute fork in the road for our family for my kids for myself and for my dear wife it was a week of living between two futures. One with liver cancer and one without. But we didn't know. The first source of fear is our circumstances and and you've had your own bouts with these. Perhaps it has for you been an uncertain diagnosis. Perhaps you're in some of that limbo or perhaps on the other side of it and you didn't get the diagnosis you wanted. For many of you it could be a relationship that right now right now this relationship is breaking and it's excruciating or it's it's broken, and you're left with the fallout. For some, it's the lack of meaningful relationship that you so desperately crave, and that circumstances declares war on you. Life provides all types of storms, financial, pandemic, housing, uncertainty, you know, and a lack of security. And then you add in kids, or as I call them, uh, anxiety generators, just running around, giving you something to be anxious about, Right? Life comes with an unlimited supply of storms and circumstances that come crashing upon us with different frequency and some some are harder than others, of course. We get it. Circumstances can cause fear. And just like those disciples, our hearts can begin to match the storm around us depending on how the storm hits. The second type of fear generator is speculations. And they're entirely different than the first. A speculation is defined as the forming of a belief without solid evidence. Speculations are what ifs with a terrible end. For the disciples, the circumstance that they were in, in the boat was bad enough. They're, I'm in a boat. It could go down. I could drown. That's enough to panic me. Then the speculation was, oh, well, what, what if I do drown? What if I go to the underworld? Oh, well, what if I go to another world? What if, what if, what if? Speculations are the what ifs on the other side of the present moments. As humans, we love, we are, no, we don't love it. We are masters of speculation. Have you ever been just driving down the road, down 82, and all of a sudden something comes into your mind, a thought that is just from the depths of hell that, ha- that causes you to imagine the worst outcome of something in your life? I mean, have you just, or you're, you're just, you're laying there, you're sitting there something, and something, what if they're cheating? What if it's cancer? What if this is how my life will always be? What if? What if we lose the job? What if they die? And and, and as you're just sitting there, I was just driving one minute and the next minute I'm doing this. My circumstances haven't changed. I'm still in the car. I'm listening to K-Love. But inside, I have a storm raging because I am speculating that, oh no, the worst is gonna happen. There's an unlimited number of what ifs and speculations that come with every life circumstance. And so here's the question. And you need to ask yourself this. What speculations Are most often attacking you. We call it worry, but it's a what if. It's a speculation. What if this happened? What if they're going to die? What if it happens in this way? And there you are. You're living emotionally in a reality that doesn't exist. But emotionally, it does exist for your heart. When it comes to circumstances that you are facing right now, what are the speculations that you are indulging that are robbing you of peace? And here's the wild part: you can actually be in you. Can, you can actually have pretty good, pretty good circumstances. You could you can have a pretty good lack of storms in your life right now. There could be nothing crushing you or coming against you, but inside you could be like this because not of circumstances, but just because of speculation. Everything could be great out there, but in here, what if? What if? These things have, have, have terrified us and, and followed us. The circumstance is one thing, and then they add in the speculation, and oftentimes that compounds the anxiety and the depression. And here, here's why. When, when you begin to imagine those what-if scenarios, those speculations, what are you actually facing? What are you actually facing when you imagine them? Nothing nothing. It is a fantasy that is meant to torment your mind and your heart. When you indulge a speculation, you're not facing an actual circumstance. You're facing an apparition of the future that isn't reality. A speculation. And we get, we get, we get scared. It robs, our, it robs our peace. It's just a what if. I'm being crushed by fear from a future that isn't even a reality. See, worry is being afraid of a future that that doesn't exist. And we don't know if it will. We have no idea what the next moment holds, but we love to run out in front of it and imagine, oftentimes, the worst thing that could happen. Speculation Speculation is a thief. It is an absolute thief. That you can have it, you can be in any moment of your life, and the speculation can come in and rob your peace, and your joy. And so we have real circumstances and then speculations that causes fear. What's the first thing to do? In your heart and mind, the first thing to do is to separate them from each other. What is circumstance? What is real? What is speculation? You need to ask yourself, what am I facing that is the circumstance and what am I indulging that's actually just the speculation? Because once you know the difference, then you can approach them each in a different way. And where there is speculation, the Bible actually tells us what to do with it. We're called to fight it. See, so you see, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 is discussing this very thing. Paul's talking about, listen, and Paul knows. He, he's been through a lot. Paul knows we live in a fallen world, and, and, and hard and tragic and bad things happen. God didn't promise this life would be puppies and rainbows. They're, that's heaven. He, stuff happens here. We get that. And Paul knows that. And Paul's talking about what happens when the storms hit our faith and how do we combat the fear? How do we combat those things that hit our life? He says that God has equipped us. And here's what he says in verses 4 and 5. The weapons that we fight with aren't the weapons of this world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish speculations and arguments that keeps us from what? From knowing God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The word for speculation is legismos, and it it, it, it goes through our mind. It's those what-ifs. And Paul says here that these speculations are at war with our mind, and what do they do? He says they keep us from knowing God. Speculations pull you farther from God speculations, those indulging those negative thoughts in those, those moments, they actually weaken your faith, which is the very thing you need in the storm. So when you're in a circumstance, which is bad already, and then you're imagining these speculations and what-ifs, you're weakening the very faith that you need to be fully present in the storm. Speculations, imagining about outcomes, they, they shrink our faith and f- soon what happens is we find ourselves fighting an imaginary scenario without God's peace and without God's present. So as we demolish speculations that keep us from knowing God and take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. First of all, what this means is if you're a follower of Jesus that you are armed with something, you have something to fight with, you're not a victim, you're not helpless but it's not a worldly weapon. It's a divine weapon, a weapon that demolishes. That doesn't sound very weak. He says it demolishes. It demolishes speculations. It destroys the what if. So when you're in a situation and the what ifs are, are popping up and robbing your peace and robbing your joy, you don't have to live that way. And the Bible calls you to not. Not. The Bible says you are equipped in that moment to demolish the speculation. You are empowered in that moment to not go into the future that isn't real, to stay in the present. One way to fight them them in the last part of verse says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. A speculation is a fearful thought about the future. When that hits you on the road or a bed or at your house, whenever that hits you, take it captive. Make it obedient. No, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to indulge that. A speculation could be a lustful thought, a what if. Take it captive and make it obedient. A speculation could be an anger or revenge fantasy. You know, you're in the shower and you're arguing with your coworker, and and you say just the right thing and the shampoo bottles all clap, you know. That is a speculation. You're there in the shower just getting ready and you're like, oh, and I'm going to tell them and then I'm going to, and then you go, well, I should probably, I should probably go to work. Like, like you, you are living emotionally in a reality that, that doesn't exist. Take every thought captive. And for Amy and I, the time of limbo between when they said, we found seven lesions in your liver, and when the test results came back, was the most excruciating, excruciating, and exhausting weeks of my life. A moment-by-moment battle because the speculation, we were just outside with the kids playing a game, and the speculation hit me. Just from nowhere a year from now, you'll be doing this alone. No. Take it captive. I'm not going to walk down that road. I'm not going to go live in that reality. I'm going to live in the present. And that was just one moment for me. You compound it by days and weeks, and it's exhausting. It's excruciating. And and, and my wife and I were so honest with each other. Every night we would check. We're talking during the day, but I would check in during the night. We would talk about how we're doing with with our circumstances and our speculations because we understand. We understand the circumstances are a storm, and it's, it's causing us some unease but we don't have to compound that with living in a reality, but what if, what if? What if? And, and, and our minds were constantly, uh, Being, we have to, to, to fight what does life look like three, three months from now, three years from now. We, we had to stop that. And my wife, Amy, is such a woman of amazing, strong character and a faith unlike anything I have ever seen because had, the way she met the speculations just amazed me because she was hit with them too. Like, she's living it. I'm, I'm here thinking like I'll be without her, but she's saying, I, I, I'll be without my kids and my husband. Like Everyone will be without me. She landed on faith in the midst of a storm around her. She told me one night, we were, we were sitting there talking, and she said, <clears throat> she said, trusting God doesn't mean I trust him to heal me or get me through this alive. I don't just trust him to heal me or just trust him to get me through this alive. Trusting God means even if I don't get to kiss my babies and raise my children, trusting God actually means I believe he still has good things ahead for them. That even if I'm not here, I can have faith and trust God with my children. As a husband, that's a hard statement to hear. But it's one of the strongest, most beautiful things I'd ever heard in my life. Because oftentimes we just trust God to get us out of stuff. But there are times we have to trust God in things and through things. In the face of speculation, of what if, what if, what if, you can land on faith. And notice the faith my wife and I were standing on. That's not cliche. I'm so sick of cliche Christianity. No one puts a bumper sticker on the car that says, even if I can't raise my children, I trust God has good things for them. No one, you know? Listen, what what, what she was saying wasn't shallow cliche. It was deep conviction. You don't just say those things. We landed on those things. What speculations most often grip your mind? What speculations does the enemy know that is just some favorite bait to put out there and you'll be five minutes on a drive in a different reality? Begin to recognize when those first start because here's the key. You don't have to indulge them. In fact, the Bible asks you and tells you to demolish them because the reality is when it comes to speculation... What does he say? Take every thought captive. When it comes to speculation, someone's getting taken captive. Someone's getting taken captive. It's either going to be you and your peace and joy taken captive, or you can take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus and stand on peace. But someone's taken captive. Back to Peter. He's in the boat in, 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 in Luke and Mark 4, and He's terrified. A real reality and the speculation. He's in the midst of a storm that could cost him everything. I mean, of course, we would all be be afraid in that moment. Peter in the boat, looking to Jesus, and he finds Jesus just sleeping in the storm. How can Jesus sleep in the storm? And, And Jesus would ask Peter over and over for the next three years, Peter, where is your faith? Where do you put your faith? He was mentored through these things. In, in Mark 4, we find a Peter who panics in the storm of life, whose storm inside matches the storm outside. So now we move forward. A couple decades to Acts 12, where we started. And we find Peter, matured, wizened, stronger, full of faith, but facing excruciating circumstances chained between two guards, his wrist chained to the captor's wrists. Tomorrow, he'll be brought before the screaming crowd in front of everybody to be killed. Most likely crucified, but it'd be kind of the whim of the ruler. You never know what he's going to choose. I think about what it'd be like to be Peter in that moment, the fear that he would have. The storm around him is raging. He would give anything to be back in that boat, but no, he's here in prison his circumstances are a disaster. And if we were Peter, let alone, uh, th- th- the circumstances alone that night would, would be enough to keep us awake, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we were kept awake on much less than that. The storms in our heart match the storms outside on, on things much smaller than executions. And what about the speculations that Peter must have been facing? I, I mean, if it, if, if, it was, if it was me, I could see myself sitting there trying to imagine like, what's it gonna be like? Are they going to throw tomatoes? They always throw tomatoes. I don't know why. Like, oh, how's the execution going to go? Are they going to yell? What's it going to be like? The circumstance is a nightmare, and it's a storm, and then you add in the speculation, and that is enough to just have him awake just crying, pleading. Could you have slept a wink? Could you have slept at all on a night like that? We've already seen Peter, young Peter in a boat matching the storm. His heart just panicked. And we wouldn't blame Peter if he was up there late that night the same way. And here in Acts 12, with 5 and 6, we see the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was fastened with two chains between two soldiers, and he was asleep. When Peter was panicking in the boat, when Peter was panicking in the boat, what was Jesus doing? Asleep. And here... Years and later, trials later, storms later, Peter, when others would have been panicking, just like his Savior, he has peace. All hell is breaking loose outside of him, yet heaven is holding him inside. You see, Peter had seen his Savior sleep in the storm, Peter had watched Jesus have peace although he was, he was in hard situations and hard circumstances, he watched, he watched Jesus have peace all the way to the cross. He had seen heaven hold Jesus against all things. And he had followed Jesus and he'd wanted to, he'd been as close as he could to Jesus and he wanted to have been like Jesus. And here we see him later in his life following Jesus for decades and we see him with a peace that looks like Jesus. And Peter's not special. He's like you and me. Peter, at peace in the storm. So what what circumstances are going through your life right now that are real and tangible, that are a storm? Where is it that something has come up against your finances, your family, yourself, your health, anything, and the winds and the waves are hitting it? Real circumstances raging against us. And the thought of, of sleeping in peace is foreign because you might not be sleeping well right now anyway, but God tells you and he calls you to a life that is rooted in faith despite the fear. What Peter shows us, what Jesus modeled for him, is available to you. It's available to you, this way of living, called to peace inside when hell breaks loose outside. Jesus said in John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift. He's saying this to you. Peace of mind, peace of heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. What kind of peace does the world have? Here's the world's peace. If everything's good out there, I'm good in here. That's why we love vacation. I just get away from everything out here that causes me stress, and I finally get on the beach, and for one week, ah, And then what happens the moment we get back? The world's peace is when things are peaceful externally. It finally allows me to find internal peace. But the peace of Christ that he gives is when the world is is, is a whirling chaos around you: pandemic, illness, divorce, sickness, whatever it could be, inside you can have peace. This is the peace Jesus leaves us. He said that's why he says: Jesus said, don't be troubled or afraid. You don't say that unless the peace holds you in trouble. I don't give you peace as the world gives. Isaiah 41, God says this So do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you in my righteous right hand. And verses like this, I run to in times of, of chaos and circumstance and storms. I run to and hold on to them. You see, for some of us, the circumstances around us right now, there's a storm. There's pressure, but there's a God who holds you in the storm. And there's a real faith that you can stand on in any trial. But the offer for us, but for others of us, we have to be honest about something. We're getting killed by the speculations. We are allowing our thoughts to run ahead to scenarios that aren't real, but they just feel real in our hearts. The what if will always lead to fear and anxiety and rob your peace and rob your joy in the present. For many of us, our circumstances are hard enough, let alone add in the speculations. But here's the reality. This is the truth right here. God promised to be with you in your circumstance, no matter how bad. He never promised to be with you in your speculation. Because you're leaving the present where he is, for a future that doesn't exist. God promises to be with you in any circumstance, but then he tells you to demolish the speculation. Don't give it an inch. Don't go down that road. Don't do that. When you leave the present moment and you begin to live in speculation, you are in a place without his presence and peace. Refuse to give in to the temptation to speculate. Refuse to indulge because you're entering into territory where you're unguarded, unequipped, and uncalled. When you follow Jesus, his spirit comes alongside of you and fights with you. And here's what you do, Orchard. You're you're, you're in a habit of of following these speculations. The first step is to begin to recognize them and then to stop them as soon as you can. No, 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 I'm not gonna go on that. Rebuke it. Refuse it demolish it you don't have to live that way and then I always find some truth to run to if I'm fighting a speculation I have truth that I run to and stand on to strengthen my faith I memorized this verse when I was 16 at Rolling Fork High School and I, I, daily I prayed it sometimes it says this you are the God of peace who gives peace at all times and in every circumstance How, what times? all times what circumstance? every circumstance I'll run to that Or here's one, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And guess what? His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't entertain speculations, demolish them because the next verse then gives you a filter. It says this, so fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. That's your filter. If you're driving around or laying there and a thought comes in, if it's not true, don't indulge it. If it's not pure, don't follow it. Don't entertain it. If it's imagining a life without my wife, or if it's imagining something about, if it's a, one of those speculations, I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna live in the present moment where God's peace and strength hold me. Because that's all the strength I have. That's all the strength he's given me is in this moment. So Peter learned peace in the storm and you can learn it as well. And for Amy and I, the storm hit and it was, it was bad enough in the circumstance, we fought the, the speculations. And so this was not a sermon I planned to preach, but because of all that has happened, of course I preach it. And, and I want to tell you this, that Amy and I, um, did we walk it perfectly? No, but we fought through that for peace. And I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of, I'm proud of how our faith held us and how our God held us. And I'm relieved to be able to preach this message and tell you that, uh, that everything they found in her body is benign and that we'll be going tomorrow to figure out, well, what do we do? Yeah. But I, I can't, we, we talked about this, we can't just celebrate that moment. Not, not here in this place, in this moment, because, because I know there are people, There are many of you in here who that's, that's not what you got. You didn't get that diagnosis. You didn't get that. It didn't, it didn't happen the way you wanted And so, yeah, while we're relieved and we're grateful, we know there's many in here who are living in the storms or aftermath of storms, and you desperately need God to come through because you're exhausted. You are exhausted, and you've given into speculation so much that your faith is so weak and you feel so far from God. And the first thing to know is that there is forgiveness. He says, it's forgiven, just come home. And you don't have to live like that. And so here's what I know. Many of you are facing very difficult storms. And so I'm gonna ask the elders to be present in the back corner over there or members of our prayer team. And if you're in here and you're in that moment, you're in those storms, oh, we, have, we wanna pray for you, lay a hand on you and pray for you. It's confidential. Nothing weird. We just wanna pray for you. You can also email us in our prayer email in your bulletin. But I know for many of you, you are in a storm and you desperately need some peace. We wanna be here for you pray for you. And I want to end by this. I want to tell you about this song we're about to sing. This song one of my friends gave to me as Amy and I were going through this time. It's called that Raise a Hallelujah. And I've heard it a bunch of times. It's a great song. But I heard it differently. So The author of the song talked about how he wrote it. What the circumstances were. He said they were in a concert. They were in a church meeting, and um, there was a young two or three-year-old boy. I don't know the details, who was life flighted to a hospital and not supposed to make it. And they stopped the the, the worship meeting and they they prayed for this young boy, Jackson. They prayed that God would save him, and, and he st- remained in intensive care. And the church continued to pray for for it seemed like days. And some time went by, and then uh, he, they they just prayed in faith, and they had fought, and they had fought, and they had fought in the storm. And the parents there by the bed, and and he got the text that doesn't it doesn't look like, it doesn't look good. Doesn't look like Jackson's not going to make it. And so this musician, in the midst of this moment, the song began to rise up in his heart. Echoed David from the psalms. It's called, I raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah is God be praised. And it goes, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. You see, because sometimes, Orchard, you've prayed, and you've worried, and you've speculated, and you've been crushed, and you've been anxious, and sometimes there are just enemies on every side, enemies of diagnosis, and relational trouble, and financial trouble, whatever it could be, and sometimes you have nothing left but to just raise a hallelujah as a battle cry. And it could be today that you are prayed out and dried up, and the only thing you have left to do is just say, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of what life sent to crush me, I will still raise a hallelujah. So will you stand with me? And as we sing this song, will you sing it not just with your lips, but will you sing it with your whole heart? That we raise a hallelujah in the presence of the enemies and the storms of our life.